Welcome back to the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. On this week's episode of the show, I have a great interview for you guys with Morgan Vazabule, also known as Morgan Vaz. A few weeks back on my Instagram, I put up a poll to see who I should bring on the show and Morgan's name popped up. Once I reached out to her and got connected, I knew that we were going to have a great conversation and that she could bring plenty of value to the show. She certainly did not disappoint. So Morgan is a internationally competitive weightlifter. She just competed for Team USA in Malta and won the competition right before the quarantine and the world shut down. So we got into what it meant to wear the USA singlet, what that competition meant to her, and just her career as a weightlifter. So I've been trying to make these intros a little bit shorter and just hop right into it. So without further ado, here is Morgan Boz. So how long have mm-hmm. you been at Philly Barbell? Yeah. Not that long, actually. I think um, I was with Garage Strength for a little bit, and I was doing Garage Strength programming at Philly Barbell. Dane and Jim are close, and they had a great relationship that allowed that to happen. Um, I actually have been a remote athlete for almost my entire weightlifting career because I was with McKenna for – two years and then garage strength for maybe one. So being with Jim and having somebody coach me in person is still so new and so helpful. Um, Maybe it's been two years. I think we might be coming up on two years. Cool. Yeah. And I mentioned to you, I was there in like 2018. I was still kind of doing CrossFit at the time, just kind of messing around and I remember like every girl in the gym was snatching more than me and I would just, I would leave and be like, damn, like I suck at this. And I don't know where you get the like self-belief in the beginning because it's like, I really thought I was good at weightlifting. And then I, I would go to Philly, Philly barbell and be like every workout. I'd be like, damn, like, am I like wasting my time? Am I delusional? Like I'm not good at this. How long had you been lifting for when you started coming to Philly? It was literally right away. Like I was just, I was doing CrossFit. So we were doing the lifts, but I had no idea what I was doing. Like I was still, I mean, I still power snatched up. So isn't it kind of silly? I think it's kind of interesting and you're not alone. So I think this is important to say that a beginner weightlifter would walk into a room full of women who've been training for years and expect to be as good or better than. Mm-hmm. And it has no bearing on, do I suck at this? It's just like, we've been doing this for four five years. Of course, like if you were to walk in and power snatch more than me, I'd be upset. And Jim would be too. (laughs) So I think it makes perfect sense based on like where you are in your career, your journey. So don't be intimidated just by, by that. But you know, I don't understand Jim has really, he's got a hold on the female athletes in the region. Like we are, I think we're third in the nation and we are like, vastly becoming the nation's most competitive female team. I don't know how or why that happened, but um, we just have a really, really good group of strong women at that gym. Yeah, that's interesting because I was going to ask you about that. Like, why do you think that is? Is it 
has to do with the programming or the mindset. I think Jim is really good with the, with um, like mindset training and kind of not so much leaving the mindset training, but he's giving people book recommendations and stuff. I think he does more outside of the gym than maybe say other coaches. Yeah. I mean, I've been asked this, I would say no less than a dozen times, like what makes Jim so good? And one of the things that I think he's really good at is he sees what the individual needs. So um, a teammate of mine who is a younger male might need to say, buck up, you can do this. Don't be a little bitch. Or he'll look at me and he'll say, you're strong enough, you belong here. So he's really good at reading the personality types of people and sort of like telling us what we want to hear. I know that he's also very, um, I think one of the reasons that he got me hooked is he basically told me, you could be really good if you want to. And that's all anybody really wants to hear. So I think when he kind of dangled the carrot in front of me and was like, if you work your ass off, you could do X, Y, Z. It turns out that's like all that I needed to hear to really uh, commit to the grind. I think he's good at creating expectations and finding out what helps us tick. Yeah, I can can really see that from Jim, just from the interaction I've had with him. And then also with other athletes, his, his kind of mindset games, he's definitely, he's good at that. I, one of his go-to things, what he would tell me like, Oh, not bad. And then he'd be like for a crossfitter, but like, it could be good if you switch to weightlifting. And that's when I'm like, okay, yeah, I need to switch over here. So I wanted to get into you. You've competed internationally. So you just got back few months ago from Malta. What was your experience like leading into the international competition for the first time? Like if I had one word to sum it all up, it would be absolute and total disbelief because I did not grow up as an athlete. I didn't really have a sport before CrossFit to think that I would ever make an international team. That was so far fetched. I wouldn't even know to have that goal if it weren't for Jim. Uh, and once he said it out loud, I remember thinking, gosh, it'll be a while until that happens. And then our goal was by the end of 2020 to make an international team. Mm -hmm. And then my performance in December 2019 got me on three international teams in January. I was invited to Cuba and the Arnold and Malta. And so that was incredibly fulfilling. It really made me feel like I could trust his judgment also. Um, and I was so excited. I was so excited and it's very unreal to put on a singlet that says USA on it. Like I don't wanna dumb that down or um, make it sound like it wasn't greater. Even like, I wouldn't even say I'm the most patriotic person, you know, like, especially right now, the current state of affairs, it's not like I'm willing to, I don't know, be extremely patriotic in other settings, but there is nothing that compares to representing your country uh, on stage. It was really amazing. So how long did you have to train up to the competition when you knew you made the team? 
not very long at all. It felt like it happened really quickly. Uh, I guess the actual math of it. So the meet was the first weekend of March, I think. And we probably found out that we were selected in mid-January. So we probably had eight weeks, which I guess is long enough, right? You can get two good cycles or three mini cycles. And what was really helpful was my goal with Malta wasn't to win. It was just to go. Mm -hmm. For me, the honor was being invited. And I think that Jim was saying, we're just going to go perform. We're going to have a great time. We're going to go as a team. Cause you know, I went with my teammates, Rachel Spring and Bree Daniela. And so, well, actually her last name is Smifori, which nobody can say, but anyway, um, so we were just going to go and have a great time. So the training leading up to it wasn't any more strenuous than it was for the finals or nationals or something like that. It was just trusting that I could make lifts. I think that was our biggest focus. We didn't really have time to get strong. We were coming to the table with the same toolkit that I had at AO finals. Mm -hmm. Do you think that helped you like not having so much time where if you might've had six months and you're focused on one day for so long? 1000% or also when I got the registration list and I saw that I was in a group of like five or six other women and the idea that I could win mm -hmm. crossed my mind. Even then my training became less fun, more pressure. I became way too hard on myself if I didn't have a good day. I'm definitely somebody that gets blindsided by the results instead of the journey. And that's something that he knows as well. And I'm still trying to work on. Um, I remember I went up to him once after we saw the registration and I said, Jim, do you think I can win? And he said, I'm going to tell you this once and then we're never going to talk about it again. I think that you can win. And he knew that if we had let that become a bigger part of the conversation or a bigger part of the plan, I would have just totally shit the bed under pressure. And so he gave me that little bit that I needed, but otherwise it is definitely something I'm currently working on to try and just stay present, make each training session very important, very impactful. And what happens on stage happens on stage. Yeah. I think because I played, so I played baseball in college and you play a game, you know, four or five times a week. So you always have these opportunities, you always have the opportunities you always have the chances. And it's like, if you don't succeed in one game, you have the next game. And weightlifting is very different in the sense where you're doing the same lifts over and over and over again for six lifts out on stage. That could be, you know, probably less than six minutes out on stage where you're, you're doing training cycle after training cycle to make these six lifts. It's kind of, it's crazy. It's like a mind fuck that that you train so much for, for such a short amount of time. It is so crazy. And the time that I realize how like insane we all are is if I'm ever flying. So I think I was flying to where was, um, Salt Lake. Like, didn't we just go to Salt Lake for something? I think it was finals. And I had somebody sitting next to me on the plane and we were talking, which is usually my worst nightmare to like talk to strangers, but, uh, he was really nice. And he started asking me about my sport and um, 
when I explained it, I realized, I think it's actually less than two minutes of total work. Cause like a snatch takes three seconds, walking onto the stage probably takes 15. And if you add up that for six lifts, I mean, we're not even, it's just crazy. The amount of money and time and anxiety for less than two minutes of work. Yeah. It's a very specific person that can survive this sport. Yeah. And I think, um, I don't know what it is, but like the, the fact of training for something repeatedly where you can, you, there's so much little minutia and detail into every single lift that you can constantly get better. Even if you're not PRing, you can, your footwork can get better or, or, you know, your timing gets better. And that's, I think that's the most motivating for me that it's like, it's almost just like an art. It's like putting pieces of a painting together where the footwork is one thing and the overhead position is another thing. Mm -hmm. You're constantly fine tuning these details. I think that's what motivates me at least. Yeah. Like I could be doing this for, you know, as long as I have been. And I honestly feel like this cycle, I truly have felt what it's like to push with my legs during the snatch. And when I say that to myself, I'm like, are you serious? How many snatches have you done? How long has it taken you? But the longer that you're in it, I think the better you can, like, the better you can understand the cues that you've been hearing the entire time, the better that you can demand perfection out of your movement. So yeah, you'll, you'll never be done. And I think that is the allure for a lot of people is there's just always work to do. Mm -hmm. So what's your mindset going into your first attempt? You're warming up in the back room. There's, uh, you know, Olympians, there's people on other international teams. How are your nerves? What's going through your mind when you're walking out on stage for the first attempt? Malta was such a good meet for me. I think that I really surprised myself because I didn't feel pressure from being there. I felt empowered from it. You know, I felt like I was selected. I was chosen. Just do what you came here to do. I felt extremely ready. I was so confident. Um, I was watching my openers happen before they happened. Every, every lift that I took, I walked on stage. I saw Martine, who was like our team captain for USA. And I imagined how good it was going to feel to make each lift. And then I just replicated that feeling. It was one of the best uh, mental headspaces that I have ever been in. I felt powerful being in that room. Uh, instead of shrinking in it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool to hear. And especially after, you know, you do a few USAW meets and, and they're kind of all the same. You, you know what to expect. You know how they're going to run. And then you go to a, another country to compete. You're flying and you're traveling. And it's like there's so much unexpected. That's cool that you had, you had that awareness and presence to – to, you know, visualize and to just see yourself being successful and then just doing it. Yeah, I was in a session with uh, Lydia, which is insane to me to be able to share a stage and a warm up platform with her. Uh, and I do feel it felt very different than a national level meet. I think because it was more intimate, you know, I've always felt like 
extremely crowded. You know, there's four sessions going on at a time. Each athlete has a coach, an assistant coach, somebody that's there to tape their left ankle. There's just way too many people back there. And here it was like, I think there were probably like 15 people total. And it just felt like the bare bones skeleton crew. It felt like we had all earned our right to be there. And so it was a lot, I would say more relaxing of an atmosphere in, in the craziest way. I can't believe that that's the reality, but um, I'm sure that they're not all like that. This one was really well run. Everything was um, pretty organized as, as much as it could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to get into expanding a little bit on your athletic journey, but you're also a coach. So, so especially after doing really well, winning an international meet, where does your, uh, like your time go? If you're, you know, you can perform at a high level, but you also are the head coach at a barbell club. So what's that, you know, balance between that where it's like, I can be an elite athlete or, I can be a coach at the same time? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I would say in the last like six to eight months, I have decided I can't balance it. I think that a lot of great people can. Um, I know that at the end of the day, I'm choosing my weightlifting career and I'm choosing my training. And if I uh, from my session, but I didn't get XYZ's programming done. I was making sure to go to bed so that I could get my eight hours of sleep and I wasn't getting that person's programming done, you know? So I had to be really honest with myself and my athletes and say, if you're looking for somebody to take you to the top, that's not me. I'm really good right now at introducing you to weightlifting for the first time, giving you some of the like major principles of the sport, encouraging you, having you believe in yourself but I can't be the one that takes you to your fullest potential. And so what that has meant is being really honest, sharing that with my team. And I would say that every member there is well aware of where I stand, but also shifting the leadership role around a little bit. So I no longer write the programming for Liberty Barbell Club. And that is a very recent transition. Um, I would say, Me and the staff at Subversus Fitness, which is where Liberty Barbell Club operates out of, made the decision to have me take a step back when I came home from Malta. Mm -hmm. So it was basically like one week before the quarantine that this new set of leadership roles were happening. So I don't really know what it feels like yet. Right now, it just feels like I've been stuck in the house for eight weeks. I don't think that that was like the plan that we had for ourselves, but um, I don't really know of anybody that's a great coach and a great athlete. I mean, do you? No, I I don't <laughs> see it. I don't see it working. Like honestly, if you if you want to be great at something, I believe that you have to be selfish and that you have to do things that other people aren't willing to do. And for you, that might be not writing the programming and going to bed before you get, you text back somebody who has a question about tomorrow's programming. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if there, if there are any great coaches who are also, you know, at the highest level, I would like to, you know, talk to them and, and learn how they balance 
but I don't, I don't think it's possible. Like you don't see Tom Brady is not going to be the best football coach. LeBron James is not going to be the best basketball coach, but they are at the top of their sport, you know? Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's where the evolution of my career finishes with when Mm -hmm. I'm done with what I think I could do. I get to take some of my learned experiences and apply them to being a great coach for people. But I just feel like I have a very limited run. You know, I'm 32, which I do feel like my clock is ticking. So I want to invest as much as I can. Um, And teaching the sport will always be um, unnecessary thing. So that'll be there for me uh, if and when I'm ready for it. Mm -hmm. I think it's incredibly brave to to be able to say that, to say, I'm going to give this my best shot right now. And whatever the rest of your athletic window looks like, you're going to, you know, be able to say that you put everything you had into it. I think that's, that's definitely a hard thing to do. Yeah, that's a lot of the, the mindset training that I've been working on, you know, for, I would say like the beginning half of my career, everybody told me that I looked like nervous and like I shrank on stage. And so I thought that mental toughness looked like being a badass. And I thought it meant being able to have a bad training session, but still be in a good mood. You know, like I took it as this very superficial blanket, what mental toughness could be, but I'm figuring out now the stage, the stage I'm at now, I think it's just believing in myself and saying that I'm good enough to take a a shot. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, that's the stage of like mindset that I'm at now where it is scary to say, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to try to be a professional weightlifter. And if I don't make it, at least I know I tried. Yeah. So what are you doing mm-hmm. mindset wise? What's that training look like? What, what books are you reading? What are you listening to? Um, one of the best books I've ever read is how to be a champion and or how to think like a champion and I think most of the references are um about golf which like I don't know anything about golf so a lot of that went over my head but it was really interesting they encouraged people to create two different selves so there's me that's having this conversation with you right now and then there's me as an athlete and you basically fake it until you make it and so the persona that you have the attitude that you have the belief that you have, maybe that's not necessarily the same confidence that I walk through the world with, um, but it's something that's necessary for me to execute a good performance. Um, Another thing that they talked about was, it really resonated, when you operate from, (laughs) this is exactly what I was worried about. (laughs) No worries. Yeah, when you operate from the subconscious, you'll be way more likely to be successful. So like if you're overthinking your snatch, if you're like, oh, I always miss forward, let me try to pull back really hard. Or if you're on stage and you're like, I've never taken this weight before, that sort of conscious thought is something that you need to get really good at silencing. And you need to resolve back to your consistent cues, trust your body, trust the movement. Um, That was definitely a turning point for me so now I know if I'm on stage I can't actually have any conscious thought about what's going on around me 
Mm -hmm. um, I also read Relentless, which I think is becoming more popular right now. I think there's like, um, is there a Michael Jordan? Yeah. yeah. So Tim Grover wrote yeah. yeah. And so Attack Athletics is this really well-known like sports psychology um, entity and Tim Grover is the founder of that. And so he wrote a book called Relentless, which was really helpful. Uh, right now, something I'm thinking about is trying to really enjoy adversity. So being blessed by the opportunity to train at home during quarantine, being blessed to be by myself and without teammates and without my coach and being excited to learn from those shitty circumstances, like retraining myself to be happy about that instead of feel sorry for myself. That's a new piece that I'm trying to get better at. Nice. That's it. That's very interesting. One other, I just read a book called It Takes What It Takes. It's another mindset book. And one of the things the author talks about, he talks about neutral thinking. And I just, my last podcast was with a guy who he works with. And basically neutral thinking, it's not negative. You're not saying I suck at this or the conditions suck. I have to train at home, but you're not positive. You're not saying, oh, these are the greatest conditions ever. Even though my platform's tilted, it's amazing. But mm. neutral thoughts are like, this is my situation right now. And I'm going to do the best I can with what I have. When we can go back to the gym and train in optimal circumstances, I'm going to be better for it. Mm -hmm. So, and one of the other things he talks about is to not say stupid shit out loud. That's literally one of his, his things is like, you know, you miss a snatch and you're like, I always miss snatches or my foot always slides out and it shouldn't. But like just reframing that self-talk to yourself and just not saying dumb shit out loud, I think is something really powerful. And, you know, everyone has bad training sessions. We all have those days where nothing goes right. And if you're saying dumb stuff to yourself, mm -hmm. you're conscious thoughts like how you're talking about they remember that and you feel that like oh I always miss snatches behind or my clean and jerk I always catch it on my throat and black out <laughs> like not saying dumb stuff you know I think I that was something I took away from the book where you know if I have a bad session it's like okay I had a bad session it's okay I'm gonna come back tomorrow and you know stick to my same process and it'll get better that day yeah, Ben Bergeron talks about that a lot. And he's famous in the CrossFit world for being like a really uh, well-known CrossFit coach. And he says that um, your thoughts become your words and then your words become your actions. And so he specifically talked about it in relation to complaining. So even mm -hmm. if I'm like, it's so hot outside right now, the first step to complaining less and reframing your mindset would be to not even give those thoughts uh, clout because your words eventually become your actions. Yeah, and I think it's all about sort of like de-emotionalizing your, your training session. So I shouldn't be emotionally charged by a miss or a make. I need to stay technically centered and I need to stay focused. So it's not about, you know, mental toughness isn't, I can make it up to 95 kilos without any misses. It's I can snatch up to 95 and I had misses along the way, but I was able to re 
tune my movement and focus on how I want to move differently instead of get emotionally swayed by any misses on the way up. Mm -hmm. So what's training looked like during this time? Are you dedicating more time or how's that been working out? I'm in the middle of one of the roughest strength volume cycles that we've ever been on. Um, Jim texted me yesterday and said that I was doing really well considering the volume he was throwing at me, which is such a, it's such a small, like bit of approval from him, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) I don't feel like he ever gets like super excited about anything, but to have a tiny bit of acknowledgement, he's like, I'm killing you and you're alive. Good job. Um, I train six days a week, which is new. I previously was five times. So we added, um, we took away a rest day. We added another squat day and my sessions are taking longer than normal. That's definitely new. And I think it's because I'm a couple things. I'm usually at home, so I'm distracted. So I'll come in, I'll change the music. I'll use my own bathroom. I'll decide I need another drink. I'll go get another coffee. You know, my wife is here. I'll talk to her. So things are taking longer, but I think that that's also better. The way that I was training before is if I had to coach at 4.30, I would get to gyms at 2, and I would bust my ass to get through everything in 90 minutes and just fly through my accessory work so I could get on the train and get back to my gym by 4.30. So... There's been benefits and then there's been downsides too, which is just, you know, I've had a couple days where I just really don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I feel really tired. I feel really alone. I feel really sad for myself. Um, and so those days have been harder because, you know, normally I would just see a teammate and get distracted or I would be around Jim and he would be like, let's take it easy today. Yeah, I think we all have that right now where it's, it, you know, you have days like that. You have days where you don't want to train and it's, I don't, I, I guess like for this time right now, the only thing you can do is obviously with the circumstances you have, do the best you possibly can. And whenever this does end, I think there's definitely, you're going to see people come out of this either better or you're going to see people come out of it a lot worse. So I think those days that it's like, okay, when this does end, am I going to thank myself for what I did today? Or am I going to be like, oh shit, I should have done way more. I was going to say, I think I expect those days to come. You know, like I always hear about people saying there's going to be days when you don't want to move. And I think watching somebody like Jess Lucero say those days are going to happen and you just have to do it anyway, at least makes me feel like, you know, sometimes I get really hard on myself. If I am not excited to train, I'm like, what's wrong with me? Have I lost my love for the sport? Have I lost all passion for weightlifting? Uh, but knowing that like some days you just wake up and feel like shit and there are other people out there that feel the same way. That's been an easy way to help me kind of grind through it. Mm-hmm. So you're between, uh, you compete mostly at 64. I know you can, you said you competed at 71 at Malta. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the balance of fluctuating weight during training? Like, are you training uh, heavier than your weight class? How does that work for you? Yeah, so I think one of the things that we try to do is stay within two kilos of the weight class. 
which has been pretty easy for me, like walking around, I'm probably like a little like 66.5, something like that. Um, I usually like wake up in the morning, I would coach the 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., and then I would come home, eat, take a nap. I also bike to the gym, which is a mile there, a mile back. Then I would hop on the train, I would go to gyms, I would train, and then I would coach the evening session. And so I was easily burning 26, 2800 calories every day. And so I walked around pretty lean. It is a different story <laughs> since quarantine hit. <laughs> I'm um, walking around a little heavier now, <laughs> which is fine. I think I'm probably like, I'm mid 67s, high 67, which is the heaviest that I've been in a while. Um, but I feel really okay and good about that right now, knowing that we're pushing the squats and the pulls and the, the lifts aren't as important right now. So I feel really actually lucky to have a little extra mass to help me move and recover because I don't know how I would be doing this otherwise with all this, all this strength work. Mm -hmm. And I know you like to talk a lot about body positivity and, you know, just being okay with, with being strong and, and, as a female, you're obviously very strong. You're almost snatching more than me, basically. <laughs> but what's um, what's it look like when you're going through this period right now, where you're you weigh a little bit more than you normally do? Is that something that you have to tell yourself, "I'm doing this for training," or are you kind of just always talking to yourself in a positive way? Well, it's definitely not always positive, no. And I'm never feeling completely done or feeling like I've got a handle on body image issues. It's the same with mental toughness. You know, nobody would say I'm done. I'm the best of the best. It's definitely something that every day I wake up and I have to sort of recalibrate my internal monologue. I feel like a lot of women, the voice that they have inside their head isn't actually theirs. It's just what we've been told since we grew up. So the idea of us being smaller, of us being polite, of us being presentable, of us not burping, like all this kind of ladylike bullshit, we wouldn't even be lifting if we really mm -hmm. believed in that. So there's a recalibration that needs to happen every day. And I definitely struggle walking around heavier um, I feel very thankful to be committed to weightlifting because I can like immediately twist the monologue to say, this is great for your lifting career. This is going to benefit your lifts. This is helping your recovery. This is helping with muscle regeneration. If I didn't have something that I was so dead set on, if I wasn't so committed to my performance in the sport, I think it would be a lot harder to rationalize those things. And so I wonder if weight training is something that all women should be exposed to because it gives you a better appreciation for capability instead of appearance. Um, I think right now, right now is tough on a lot of people, especially quarantine has kind of turned into this contest of productivity, you know, like we're told, to learn a new language and clean out your closet and redecorate your living room. But 
I think something that people are forgetting is like, we're not on fucking vacation. We've been told to stay in our homes and work from our house because people are dying. So this isn't like um, a typical circumstance, you know? So I think people are probably overeating and under-exercising, and I think all of that is okay. Uh, it's just been, it's been a really interesting thing to watch all of society cope with at the same time. Yeah, I think like everyone's reaction has, has been a little different and I don't think anyone's doing the wrong thing. Like it's very easy to sit and look at somebody who's, you know, not exercising or, or they're eating a lot of bad food, but you, you really don't know what's going on. They have four kids at home and they're now the teacher and their kids are up all night and they can't sleep, you know, like it's, it's very easy to sit and say like, you should be doing this. You should be, you know, like for me, I should be doing more podcasts and I should be, you know, reaching out to more people and more Instagram and more, just more everything. But sometimes you just need a break. And I think we all, we all needed a break. And it's, it's kind of like permission right now. Like this is a break. Mm -hmm. This isn't, this isn't, yeah, this isn't saying like, Oh, everyone, you know, just, just take off from work for a while. We got you. It's, it's very much, it's a very different situation that none of us have seen before. Yeah. And not to mention like all of the food scarcity that this has created. Like some people don't have access to grocery stores. Some people are too scared to go out and buy food. So it does kind of, it feels really dangerous to watch a lot of Instagram nutrition or health experts, um, experts in quotes, quotes talk about wellness right now because it looks very different than it did eight weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So what, what have you changed personally? Like what's a positive routine that you've added during this time? Um, I started reading and that's always the first thing that comes to my mind. Like I have loved reading for so long, but it was a while, like I would try to read a book and I would fall asleep instantly. <laughs> and I always just thought it was because reading was so soothing, but I think it's because I was just dog fucking tired. <laughs> like I couldn't sit still without falling asleep in my, my old life. And so um, I've finished like a couple books already and they're nothing to do with nutrition or weightlifting or anything like that. They're just pure enjoyment. Um, and that has felt really good. Um, I'm also in an effort to try and like take better care of my body weight. I walk, uh, my dog for an hour every day. And so she's been extremely beneficial or happy about that. Um, and then the other thing is, Leisha, my wife and I, we've never really been able to eat dinner together because she owns a CrossFit gym in Fishtown. And so if I was ever home from work, she would be working the evening shift or vice versa. And so we only really had Saturdays and Sundays that we knew we could have dinner together. And so obviously now with nowhere to go, we've been eating meals together and that has felt so like cherished and new and I feel like kind of angry because like this is what nine to fivers have been able to do the whole time but mm -hmm. like people in the fitness industry or the restaurant business they don't have those luxuries so that's felt really good 
That's awesome. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's crazy how like, how a time like this can make you realize, you know, just eating dinner with somebody is, mm-hmm. is an incredibly powerful thing. Like sitting and, you know, like we have all this social media, we have the phones. How often are you actually sitting across from somebody for 30 minutes, like uninterrupted, like throughout your day? Yeah. It just doesn't happen much yeah. anymore. So we're kind of, we're yeah, I think like relationships get like stale because you forget how to date each other mm-hmm. and you like stop talking about like those memories you have from like when you were a third grader, you only talk about like today, here's what happened at work, mm-hmm. you know, but we've been able to say like, man, when I'm 55, I want to have a boat. And like, I've never known that she wanted a fucking boat, you know? <laughs> So it feels, it feels really good. Yeah. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit on um, social media. So you do, you do a lot on social media. What advice would you give to somebody who's trying to, trying to brand themselves? That is so funny because I need advice. <laughs> I need help. Um, I think that something I'm finding out and something that I've read is, or something that I like consistently hear is you got to find out why you're on social media in the first place. So are you trying to inspire, encourage? Are you trying to just show a little bit of your weightlifting? Once you find your why, which is so like cheesy and regurgitated, you can really sort of like get an audience. Mm -hmm. Because there's only a certain group of people that really want to listen to me. They're usually women. um, They're usually people that are interested in weightlifting. They're people that appreciate that I'm honest about, like, sometimes I'm having a bad body day. And that's my niche. That's my group of people. And I think once you connect with them, then you feel... um, I don't know, it becomes like a little bit more of a family instead of a brand. Um, But I'm still just trying to figure, I'm still just trying to figure it all out. So what are your tips? I need some. My tip, well, I asked you because I wanted to know. That wasn't (laughs) for the audience. Um, It's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that like you have, you have the influencer model now and like, if you just took pictures in a bikini, you'd probably have, you know, more followers than if you posted your weightlifting and your eating and everything like that. So, but one of the interesting things about you when, before we talked about coming on the podcast, you basically interviewed me to make sure that you wanted to come on. And I remember like getting off the phone and was like, wow, you know, you're really committed to to what you put out and what you put your name on, which I think is really cool. And I don't think that's something that's that people do a lot of now. It's just like, what can I do to get more followers right now? Like who can I associate with that's going to blow my brand up or make me, you know, stronger. And I, I thought with you, I was like, wow, you really wanted to make sure that, that our thoughts aligned and that you wanted to come on as well as much as me asking you, you know? Yeah, I think that's so important, especially like, I mean, you're right. People really just want to be seen. And I think that most of us just need to go to fucking therapy, but it's led to like the Instagram boom, which is 
you can be the person that sells out and represents a company that you have no affiliation with, or you could be somebody that is really trusted, is a really like a book of resources, is a guide through this world that we're interested in. I mean, right now, have you heard about what's happening with Unbroken Designs? I followed it a little bit. It's the captions have been so long that I'm just like, fuck it. I can't read all this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so basically the owner of unbroken designs used the term wetback and one of her athletes called her out on it and said, this is extremely derogatory and offensive. And she basically said, I know. And she tried to issue an apology and I feel really bad for all of the athletes that were previously associated with this brand because what they did is they influenced other people to buy and give sales to this fucking racist business owner. Mm -hmm. And so you really need to do some vetting today. It's you've got to put your money where your mouth is because politics are way more than just voting and political party. It's where you put your money, who you ally with, I think it's, I mean, I do. I think it's one of the most important things that you can do when you start to brand yourself is just really believe in what you're telling other people. Yeah. And I think the, the audience definitely, it might not be there in the beginning, but you know, when you build up your circle, people are trusting you now that they know that, okay, Morgan, you know, puts her name on stuff that she believes in and that she actually uses, not just like, Oh, here's my code for this. I've never, you know, I've never used this protein, but it tastes great. Yeah. Yeah. And I know people like that. I've had um, somebody say, oh, anything that she sells, I'm not buying because it's like, we're not idiot consumers anymore. Like we can see when somebody is just aligning themselves with brands for recognition. It's not, um, it's not a really hard thing to try and figure out. So like it's very transparent and it's very vapid and like you're not fooling anybody so you might as well do it the way that you want to do it mm -hmm. yeah I think that's that's powerful for anyone and just just me starting this podcast and I do a YouTube channel as well and knowing that it takes time I think that's the biggest tip that I can give on social media or branding just it's going to take time you you're not going to you're not going to do one thing that's going to, you know, put you over the top and get you that 10,000 followers right away. You're not going to make one post that's going to do that, or you're not going to get a thousand subscribers on YouTube overnight. And some people might, and you know, kudos to them if you can do that. But I think it really is the people who, who stick it out for the long haul, who really, you know, focus on, on the audience and, and what people want to hear and see and just doing stuff that yeah. aligns with you. That ensures the quality of your audience, right? Like if I were to wake up tomorrow and get 10,000 followers, those people don't know anything about me. They haven't been with me for the long haul. So like, what if I just got 10,000 foreign men that thought that they could seduce me because I was wearing a bikini, you know? Like that's not the type of people that I want watching me like make my breakfast in the morning. I don't want those people. So. It is, it is, you're right. It's about the long game. And that's just because you're actually trying to appeal to the people that you want to connect with. And it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. So yeah. where, where can people find you on social? 
I'm really only on Instagram. So it's Morgan Vaz, V as in Victor, O, Z as in Zebra. Um, I tried to do YouTube, but I literally uploaded like two videos and decided it wasn't for me. So hats off to you because that shit is hard. And like to be really good, you got to put music and like there's transitions and God, it's crazy. So I'm just on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) It is hard, but uh, yeah, it it is worth it, I think. Well, I just want to thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your insight and perspective on things. Uh, You're, you know, you're an incredibly powerful thinker and motivator. So I just want to thank you for coming on. Wow, I appreciate that. That was so sincere. Um, I was very happy to speak with you, and, uh, and I would do it again anytime. Once again, thanks so much to Morgan for coming on the show. If you want to follow her on Instagram, it's at Morgan Vaz, V-O-Z, and that will be linked up in the show notes, so you can head right over there to follow her. I just want to thank you guys so much for listening today. A few things before you get going. If you could, if you like the episode, leave a five-star rating on iTunes and leave a review, a couple of positive lines about the show, what you like about it. Even if it's negative, I'd honestly love to hear your feedback. I'd love to get better. The whole point of me doing this podcast is improvement. So if there's anything that I can improve, I would love to hear from you guys. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have an awesome week and I will talk to you guys on the next one.